And well, this time of year is a time when families come together, when people come together who might not normally be together as much. It's a, it's a time where people are maybe more open to, to talk about and sing even the, the things of Christ. This is a time, as, as we had the blessing this morning, of, of little children singing to us, hearing voices of all ages on stage here as well, singing to us, reading scripture to us, young and old being brought together. Uh, there's going to be a special lunch for honoring some of our seniors here afterwards. And there's, there's something about Christmas in particular that's, that's just a, a sweet and, and special time of bringing people together. We, we had the privilege of caroling Friday night with our, with our young adult group, and, and uh, we went around to one neighborhood and and sang the first gal that we sang to uh, was she she said i haven't we haven't had anyone come and sing to us in the sixteen years we've lived here in this in this neighborhood and we walked around the neighborhood and just in god's providence, one of the homes we were going to the person wasn't there, but there were some neighbors across the street that said, "Are you carolers why don't you come and sing to us and so we sang to them and and as we were singing, they had some friends coming to their house and we asked one of the friends, do you, do you have a favorite Christmas song? He says, no, I'm just looking for a beer. And he, he kind of went in the house. And, and I said, well, we, you know, we, we've got to, let me give you a card from our church. He invites you to our Christmas service. And uh, we sang to them. We also went to one of the senior homes, actually two of the gals who hadn't been able to be back with us since COVID, we sang to. And in the senior center, we, we went to find a, a gal who I wasn't able to connect by phone, but I thought, let me just try and find her. And as I walked in, she was just walking through the hallway, going into her room. And so I asked her, could we come and could we just sing outside to you? Because they, they didn't want big groups coming into a senior center with, with health concerns. So we brought her outside and we started singing to her. And as we started singing, the, the doors opened up and people from the lobby started filing out to come and, and listen to us. And I checked with the office to make sure that was okay. She says, no, that's great. What church are you from? And I gave her cards and she gave them out. But what was an amazing thing is at that senior center, while we're singing, they brought us the microphone so that they could, through the whole uh, building, uh, everyone could hear us singing of, of Christ. And I was just struck by God's orchestration, how God can do things like that. And, and, and to, to see these faces of these people, and some of them even in, were in their windows, were opening their windows and waving to us and singing along. There's, there's something about the songs of Christmas, even, even people that might, you might not normally hear the very words that we're singing of, there's, there's something about these songs and how people, old and young, can be brought together. And if you were at the tree lighting in Placerville, just to, right after Thanksgiving, uh, there was thousands of people out there, and at the very end of their time there, they, they broke out in singing Silent Night. And I was just struck as I'm looking around Placerville and I'm hearing people singing, Christ the Savior is born. Love of God, Son of God loves pure light. And I was just meditating on how it is that this time of year and the songs that we sing can bring people together in ways they wouldn't Otherwise, I was talking with some kids here this week about Christmas, the Christmas story, and some of the characters, and I asked them to name who are some of the characters in the Christmas story, and of course, they mentioned the, the wise men, the, the angels, the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, and I said, there's another character that I'm looking for. 
can you think of anyone else with baby Jesus? And they said, well, God. And I said, well, yeah, of course, God. But that's the Sunday school answer, Jesus. But, but who else? There's someone else. And that other person is who I want to talk about here today. Because there's someone else with baby Jesus who the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn there, actually says more about this person than Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men in Luke chapter 2. There's more verses about this scene right here that we're going to look at than there is about the inn and the manger and the fields. And actually, this person says more than any of those other characters. Luke wants us to know the rest of the Christmas story. And he has more to say with this character than anyone else in history. The setting begins in verses 21 and following in the temple. And we'll go to those verses in a little bit. But I wanted to start in verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have promised In the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. That's the baby Jesus, about this baby. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. In other words, there's going to be a lot of opposition with this one. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What child is this. Simeon tells us what child this is. And Luke doesn't want this story to end in the manger or even with the magi who he doesn't mention. He draws attention to a man about to die who meets this baby and who says things that anyone who would have been in earshot there in that temple would have marveled at. And it mentions his parents were amazed. They marveled at what he says. This is the, is the way Luke presents it here. Matthew has other details, but Luke, as he brings this to a culmination, it's not the nativity, it's the prophecy that is given about this child. Luke actually spends more time in the temple than he does in the stable or wherever it was that the manger was. There's more verses in Luke 2 describing this day in Jerusalem than that night in Bethlehem. In fact, there's more to this story we'll look at next week with Anna as well. And and there's more that relates to the temple with this child and what child this is. But Simeon 
for today, we need to see Simeon as important to God. He's one of those characters that can be easily forgotten. But he reminds us that there are no forgotten people to God and that God works through very ordinary people like him. God wants us to remember people like him in this story, along with those other miraculous events and what happened that evening in the fields. There's this story, and I love this story of Simeon. It's a true story for young and old. It's, it's a scene where this old man, we don't know exactly how old he is, but it seems like from verse 29 he's expecting that he's about to die. But we see this old man and this little baby in this temple with all of these people around. And we see him holding this baby in his hands and describing who this baby is for the world. It's a story of comfort and joy. It's a story of joy to the world through this one. An old preacher in Scotland named Alexander McLaren said, this scene where the old man took the infant in his withered arms is one of the most picturesque and striking in the gospel narrative. If you know the, the name Rembrandt from paintings, Rembrandt as a painter was struck by this story. In fact, five different times he painted it or he sketched it. In fact, to the year of his death, the year that he died, very much like this would be the year that Simeon died, he painted a a picture and and some believe that he painted his own face as the portrait for the old man holding Simeon. I think wanting to identify with the, the Bible character of Simeon himself, seeing himself in that light. There's many poems You'd be surprised how many poems and songs and hymns and paintings have come from this scene. And I think sometimes he gets forgotten in our day and age. But I want to look this morning at what the setting is for this story. That's number one. Then what Simeon says. That's number two. And then what this says for us. So just a simple message. We need to look at what the setting is or the context. And then what the context, what Simeon says and then ultimately what this says for us. But what the setting is, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The, the time here, according to verse 21, there had been eight days after his birth. He was circumcised. And then verse 22 mentions her days of purification being ended. It's probably another month or maybe 32 more days after that. So that's the, the timing This is a little newborn baby here with this couple. The place in verse 25 that he lived in was Jerusalem. This is a man who lived in Jerusalem. But his message here goes far beyond those ancient walls of that ancient city. This is a message for modern man. In fact, he talks about the world and and the, the glory and the plans of God for all peoples. But notice what it says. It just says there was a man. It doesn't doesn't call him a noble, doesn't say he was a rabbi, doesn't say he was a scribe, Pharisee, Sadducee. And this is how God worked in the gospel and still works. There's not many noble, not many wise, not many rich and influential, not many strong. God chose to reveal himself to the weak, to the lowly. Not to the religious who felt like they were already right with God. To those who knew they needed 
the Messiah. We don't know much about him. He wasn't a famous man, but he was a faithful man. And we know that because verse 25 says, this man was righteous and devout. What that means is he was living right because God had made him righteous by faith. Since the days of Abraham, we've seen that's how it's revealed. Is they believe in God, they are reckoned or or counted or declared righteous because of their faith in the Lord. And he in particular was looking for the Lord's promised one. End of verse 25 says he was waiting or looking for the consolation of Israel. That term isn't one that maybe would ring a bell to us, but it would really ring a bell for those Israelites who who looked to the prophecies of Isaiah in particular. The kids sang one of those of who this one would be called. There's also a prophecy that he would be born of a, a virgin, and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But those the prophecies that begin in Isaiah 40 had this Word. This is the New Testament equivalent of, of comfort. That's how Isaiah 40 starts. Comfort, consolation, comfort, comfort, my people declares your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem. And then he reveals that the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed and, and all are going to see it. And, and this, this prophecy unfolds beginning with this word comfort, comfort. And so that became kind of a, a, a way to summarize what would come when Messiah would come. Comfort, consolation. The Lord will have compassion or comfort on the afflicted, Isaiah would say. And he even uses this word of a, of a, a mother's consolation to a, a newborn baby. You, you've, you've seen sometimes there's a baby and the baby just can't be consoled. There's no consolation that baby will take. The dad can do the best that he can. But sometimes that baby just needs the consolation, the comfort of a, of a nursing mother. That's the word that Isaiah uses. But here's what Isaiah 61 says. The Messiah, and Jesus in his first sermon said this applied to him, was being fulfilled. The Messiah would bring good news. He would set the the captives free. He would bring liberty for those who were oppressed. And it says this, he would comfort all who mourn. And the idea there is Jesus talks about blessed are are those who mourn. It's they mourn over their sin and they're, they're comforted as they look to this consolation of Israel. In fact, rabbis thought this was so certain, the, the coming consolation of Israel. So there's writings that I read where they would say or they would swear by the consolation of Israel. In other words, this is something so sure that's going to happen that, that they would swear by it. And there was a traditional Jewish prayer, may I see the consolation of Israel. Faithful Jews longed to be that generation that would see when that consolation would come. That was one of their faithful prayers. Simeon might have prayed that prayer many times. And for him, that prayer was answered. There were a lot of other people in the temple that didn't get to see this is the consolation. But the Spirit reveals to Simeon that this is the consolation of Israel. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That was their longing Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. It says, Israel's strength and consolation. Let us find our rest in thee. That's where Simeon is. He finds this one, and now he feels he can rest in peace. That's what he says. But let's look at verse 26. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We see that word Christ and we think of it like a, like a name or maybe even a last name, Jesus Christ. This is not his last name. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, Christos in the Greek, Mashiach, Messiah in the, the Hebrew. He's, he had been revealed to him. He was going to see the Lord's Messiah. The Christ here is God the Son. The, the Lord here is God the Father. And it's God the Spirit who reveals this to him. So we see the whole Trinity at work. In fact, we see the Spirit throughout Luke 1 and Luke chapter 2. And this is a promise. Think about this promise. that The greatest of Old Testament saints did not have. Abraham did not have this promise that he'd see Christ in the flesh in his lifetime. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Gideon, David, Samuel, all of those, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the ones who wrote about this, would have been longing to see it in their lifetime. None of them had this promise that they would see this before they died. But Simeon, Simeon of all people who had ever lived, has this specific revelation to him. You're going to see the consolation of Israel, the Christ, the Messiah, before you die. So notice the end of verse 25, the Spirit is upon him. In verse 26, the Spirit revealed he would see Christ. And then verse 27, the Spirit's orchestrating all this. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So it's like the Spirit directed him right in that big crowd to, to write this couple that comes in with this baby. And he's not doesn't have to interview him to find out. He, he knows the Spirit reveals this is the child. He goes, and imagine yourself as a mother. This man comes over beaming, and he, he grabs your baby, and then he holds it up and starts saying this. You would be marveling. You might be a little uh, nervous, but, but the Spirit was at work in their hearts as, as well. And it says they, had, they were doing this according to the custom of the law. I'm guessing he probably asked permission. Can I hold your baby? Just so you moms aren't bothered by that, but Jesus had been, according to the custom of the law, circumcised the eighth day, it says in verse 21. He was born under the law, as Paul would say, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons, so that we might be brought into this family. He had to fulfill the law, fulfill all righteousness, all the requirements of the law, even When he's young and others are doing it for him, everything that the law said was done in and by Jesus. And so what were they doing in the temple according to the law? Verse 22 says, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. So Bethlehem to Jerusalem was about six miles, so that's, that's closer than here in downtown Placerville, maybe Missouri Flat or one of those exits. But they were by foot, obviously, and they're, they're bringing this child here. They're coming to the, the temple. And, and what this is talking about is the firstborn male in the law was, was to be set apart. It says to be holy, called holy to the Lord. They were to set apart to God, symbolizing 
They're, this is what they were to do with all of their children, but in a special way, the firstborn male had this to say in Exodus 13. This is what was said to Moses, Consecrate to me the firstborn. Every firstborn among man, among your sons, you shall redeem. And what they would do is there was actually a redemption price. Symbolically, they would devote this child to the Lord, and then they would they would pay a redemption price to, to buy back this child. Numbers 18 talks about that. And that's what verse 23 is, is talking about. Verse 24, then, is talking about Leviticus 12, where a mom would bring sacrifices to the priest at the entrance to the, the holy place. They would bring a sacrifice. And here's what Leviticus 12, 8 says. If she cannot afford a lamb, so they were supposed to bring a lamb, but if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So she would come to the temple, to the holy place with the lamb if she could, but if she couldn't afford a lamb, there, were, there was provision for two Pigeons or two turtle doves. We have a few pigeons around here. Some of you have noticed. Some of you maybe wouldn't be sad if some of them were sacrificed. I don't know. But that's what was happening to pigeons in Israel's place of worship. But that's another story. And maybe as I read that, you heard two turtle doves and your mind instantly goes to a Christmas song. But how this really ties in with a Christmas Traditions is, is what it shows is that Mary was too poor to afford a lamb. And so she had to bring a sacrifice of two turtle doves instead, or two young pigeons. And in what that tells us in the chronology, if the wise men had already come, they would be rich. There was these treasures they brought from the east of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And Matthew 2 is where it talks about the Magi, and it says they came to a house it wasn't to a stable, and so I'm sorry if that bursts your bubble or breaks up your nativity set, but the wise men hadn't come yet. It probably took them months to travel from the east, and, and Herod is he's talking with them, trying to calculate figures. They've got to, he's got to be under two years old, so he's somewhere in between that and, and then. So what I do is I move the wise men of our nativity set to the other side of the room, so they're, they're on the way. And so if I'm visiting you, just, just move them a little bit so it doesn't bother me when I'm when I'm talking with you. But in all seriousness, this shows us, more importantly than all that, this shows us that Mary was not sinless. She needed to bring a sacrifice like anyone else for her atonement, for her purification, so she could be clean. She was not immaculately conceived free from sin like the Roman Catholic Church falsely teaches. She needed... God as her Savior. In fact, in Luke 1, verse 47, she rejoices in, she says, God, my Savior. She rejoices that He's given mercy to her. She's not the source of grace for anyone to pray to. She was someone who needed grace, and her prayer is praising God for the amazing grace that she received. But just pause for a moment and think about the imagery. Think about the irony here. She's bringing a sacrifice here. And at the same time, she has in her other arm 
the one who is going to be the ultimate sacrifice, the one who actually will, will do away with sin. All other sacrifices were just pointers and pictures. She actually has the real sacrifice, the one who's actually going to put an end to sin in her arm as she comes to that temple. She couldn't afford a lamb, but she has in her arm the, the, the one who would be the perfect lamb of God, the one who would actually take away the sins of the world for all those who know they cannot pay and cannot earn and cannot afford or ever do enough on their own to, to pay their way. Jesus is the lamb of God who pays the way for those who trust him as their substitute. Mary delivered a child that was going to be her deliverer. You've heard that song, that child you delivered, did you know that he would deliver you? Her parents are symbolically redeeming their son here, and he's going to be the one who redeems many sons and daughters all around the world. Think about that. Marvel at that. They are bringing this little one into the temple, this one who is going to be the replacement of the temple. Jesus is going to be where the Spirit of God dwells. And, and in the future, the day was coming, Jesus would say, where they wouldn't worship in, in the temple. It wouldn't be a place anymore. It would be in a person. It would be centered on Christ. He's going to become the new center of worship for God's people. So all around the world today, people are worshiping in Christ, in the the new temple, in fact, believers are also in Christ through that same spirit called temples. And the church is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the one they're bringing into the temple. The one who's going to one day talk about how this temple is going to come down. But there's going to be a new people of God. This is an old man of the old covenant who sees the new covenant's maker. He sees the one, and he, he understands this. What Simeon says is right out of Isaiah's prophecy. He understood this. What, he's going to make a new covenant, this one. We, we don't know exactly what Mary knew. That, that, that song, Mary, did you know this? Simeon knew a lot. And Mary, as she's hearing this, she's marveling about this. Here in verse 28, Simeon is carrying in his arms the very one who the prophet said carries us in his arms every day. The Lord who's been carrying his people, now this, this person, Simeon, gets to hold this Lord in human flesh. Of course, God is still in heaven. The Holy Spirit is still sustaining all things. But Jesus, this baby, this one who had been holding him all his life, now he is holding this little life. God incarnate. He's lifting up to the heavens the one who made the heavens and the earth. John 1 said Jesus was involved in the creation of all things. So marvel, be, be amazed at this scene, at the setting of this. But we also need to notice what Simeon says. When I was a kid who used to play a game, Simon Says. Any of you play that game when you were little? All right, well, this is Simeon Says. What does Simeon say here? Verse 29, Lord and, and really, to do this justice, we need, there, there needs to be emphasis on now. Lord, now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. In other words, I, I'm ready to go now. I'm ready to, 
to die. I've been waiting for this day. Now you're letting me go in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Listen to how he describes this baby. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light. So this is what he's saying about this baby, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the glory of Israel right here and the light to the world and the salvation for all peoples right here. Verse 33, his father and mother marveled at what was said. And if you'd been there, you would be marveling too. How could he know this about this baby? Well, he knew it through the Spirit and through the prophecies that he's referring to. What child is this? Simeon tells us this babe on, on Mary's lap that is sleeping. This is Christ the King. The Lord's Christ was the Messiah King. And, and this is the glory of Israel. This is the promised consolation and salvation. He's here. Anyone in the temple, listen up. He's here. This is Him. This is the one we've been waiting for. And His words in verse 32 are, are from that chapter in Isaiah. Comfort my people. Consolation to my people. It says the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. And it begins right here with hundreds, maybe thousands of people around the temple. A few days earlier, it was just a small number of people, some shepherds and this couple. But now, this is for the first time who this is is being revealed. And maybe a lot of people didn't pay attention to what this old man was saying. But, but Isaiah 42 said this servant Messiah would be a light to, to the nations, to the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. And and he says he would be a light of the nation so that God's salvation, that's the word Yeshua, would reach to the very ends of the earth. Simeon understands that this is who Isaiah was talking about. Isaiah 52 says God would show his strength in the sight of all the nations that all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Simeon's talking about us in verse 32. We're, we're part of all the ends of the earth. The nations all around the world where Christ's message is still going to this day are a part of Simeon's prophecy. He's not just going to be the glory of Israel. That would be understood by everyone there. But he's, he emphasizes to the Gentiles. He says, all peoples. And to some of those around them, they would think, all pe- you mean those pagans, those the pig-eating people, those those publicans, those, those people groups we hate, like the Samaritans. Yes, all peoples. And while Simeon is saying this, in the temple, there was actually a, a wall and there was a sign that had been constructed there that archaeology has found that warns that no foreigners were allowed to cross past this line here. And if they did come close to the temple as non-Jews, they would be responsible for their own ensuing Death. This was, this was in the temple at the time Simeon says this. They weren't letting Gentiles get anywhere near. And that was the, the opposite of what this, this. Jesus said this was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And so Jesus, one of the first things he does in his ministry is he cleanses out the temple and he tells them, this is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. This was not to be a place where they were pushing foreigners away or telling them they would die if they came near. This was to be a, a place where they came where they were calling them in to the, 
to the message of the light of the world, and yet Israel failed to be a light to the nations. So Jesus comes to fulfill what they failed. He's going to be a light to the nations. And when Simeon says, all the people, this echoes what the angels said, that we have good tidings of great joy, and this shall be for who? All the peoples. And that's what Luke fills out in his gospel. So again, we hear Simeon say, this this Jesus is for all the peoples. And then in chapter 3, the next chapter, we have Roman soldiers who come, and they're asking how they can repent. We have in Luke 4, Jesus coming to his hometown synagogue, and he preaches from Isaiah, and then he talks about how God had been gracious to a Gentile widow and to an Assyrian soldier named Naaman. And the Assyrians were considered the enemies of Israel, and he brings up that story, and they get so mad at him that they want to throw him off a, off a cliff, but he's bringing the, the message of this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. I am going to be doing this for people like that. And he, he would tell them they needed to love their enemies. Just a couple chapters later. And then he actually heals a, a Gentile Roman centurion, actually one of his servants. And, and, and this Gentile soldier believes in him. And Jesus says of him, I have not found faith like his even in Israel. In other words, this faith that this foreigner has is greater than what I've seen in Israel so far. And then he heals in the next chapter a a demon-possessed man in Greek territory. He sends his disciples out to preach everywhere in the chapter chapter after that. He, in chapter 10, tells the story of a good Samaritan. He makes the Samaritan the one who shows the compassion that we are to have, that we need from the good Savior but he uses a Samaritan, the, the, the people they hated, as the illustration there of what compassion looks like. He, he talks about the, the greatest conversion ever. He compares himself to Jonah in Assyria. The, the, maybe the greatest mass conversion that's ever happened on this planet. He brings up that story and then he, he mentions there's going to be an Arab queen. An Arab queen who came to see Solomon who's going to stand up against you Jews who do not believe in Jesus. She's going to testify against you on Judgment Day. Those people in Nineveh who repented, if you don't receive this Messiah, there's all these Gentiles from the past who can bear witness against you. And in Luke 14, Gentiles are invited to the Lord's banquet. And in Luke 17, he heals ten lepers in Israel, and one of them comes back who is a foreigner who praises and worships him. And on his way to the cross in Luke's gospel, there's an African man who is called to to help him. There's a Roman centurion who's leading the whole crucifixion, who at the end of it, it says he praises or glorifies God and says, this truly was the Son of God. And and the last chapter of Luke's gospel ends with his great commission for all the nations. So Luke, even as a Gentile physician writer, is emphasizing how this one is for all the peoples, for all the nations. This is good news of great joy for all. And so there is, is no one who is beyond this message who we should not give this message to. This is what we are called to be a part of that commission, to tell, to go tell it on a mountain over the hills and everywhere and in the foothills that Jesus Christ is born and that he is Lord. He is the Savior. And he's for all people. He's for all people as Luke starts in chapter 1. Barren women like Elizabeth. 
for people with doubts like Zechariah, for Gentile wise men, for lowly shepherds, for widows like Anna who we'll look at next week, for young teenage moms like Mary, for men like Simeon. And I want to just, it's kind of interesting to think about Simeon and how his name fits into that purpose of God's redemptive plan. Simeon was a tribe of Israel. He's one of the sons of Jacob. Here we have Simeon, who obviously named after that tribe in Israel. He sees the Savior that has come for every tribe and every tongue and every color and every country. In fact, the man I mentioned from North Africa who carried the cross for Jesus 33 years later from this scene here, his name, his Hebrew name was Simeon. And he carries the cross for the Savior of all nations. But that original Simeon back in Genesis, Reuben, or, um, yeah, Reuben and Simeon were the two firstborn sons who were, would have had a special inheritance and place in God's plan. If you know the story of how Joseph goes to Africa, uh, to, to lower Egypt there, he, he marries a, a, a princess there from that upper part of the continent there. His, his sons who are born to him there in that kingdom, they actually get adopted into Israel in a special way by Jacob when he's on his deathbed. And he says this about these, these two sons that had been born to Joseph's African wife, Ephraim and Manasseh were their names. He says there, Ephraim and Manasseh are mine as Reuben and Simeon are mine. In other words, these foreign-born sons are going to be my sons and part of my family just as much as my two firstborns. They're going to be just as much a part of God's family. And it kind of pictures what the Lord was going to be doing in the future, bringing people who were not biologically Jews into the family of faith just as much as anyone else. And it's interesting, in the book of Acts, as we see on the day of Pentecost, all the different language groups and people that had come to Israel there, as the gospel went out to Antioch, uh, the first church that bore the name Christian. One of the leaders there was a man by the name of Simeon. In fact, there was another man from North Africa, from Cyrene, and it mentions Simeon, who was also called Niger. And many people think because of that, he was an especially black African and had that, that nickname. And so even as the church is being born or was first called Christian, we see foreigners in the leadership, in the, the earliest of leaders people from other countries and continents and even other colors. And then in Acts 15, as the Jerusalem Council meets to discuss the Gentiles coming into the Jewish church, James, the leader of the church, stands up and says, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself from taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after these things I will return And it goes on to say, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. James is telling him, this is what it's been all about. This is what the prophets were talking about. All peoples coming together to seek the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's just fascinating to me as I review some of those Simeons from Genesis into the Gospels, how God in his providence used Simeons 
and how he uses normal people like us in his plans for all. But here's the part we need to end with. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, listen to this, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's, there's many who, because of this one, are going to rise up. There's many who are going to be built up in Christ. He's the, he's the foundation stone. For those who build on him, they're going to rise up. They're going to be built up. But that same stone, that image in scriptures, many would stumble over this stone. Isaiah talked about this. They would trip. They would stumble. And, and to this day, so many Jews stumble and are offended by the concept of, of Jesus, the suffering Messiah. But that's what Isaiah talked about. And Simeon talks about it in verse 35, that he would be pierced through. Isaiah 53 said, Messiah would be pierced through for our sins. But it would be by his wounds that we would be healed. This is, Simeon actually adds a prophecy through the Holy Spirit to what Isaiah had said, using that language of being pierced through. David also talked about the hands being pierced through in the feet of of the one who would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His hands and feet would be pierced through. But now Simeon adds a detail to that. This is said to Mary, you're going to be pierced through as well. There's going to be a sword that's going to pierce through you. And you can imagine Mary in her life seeing her son, seeing how his own siblings rejected him, seeing how his own hometown wanted to kill him, seeing how all these people were saying horrible things about him, saying that he had been born, he was a Samaritan and had been born, uh, that his, his mother had been unfaithful and, and with a, a Gentile soldier. Maybe that's how this child had been conceived. All these horrible things. You can imagine her, the mother being, being pierced through all these things that they were saying, but I think ultimately this language of being pierced through has to point to the final moment of rejection on the cross where she's standing there with the other women watching as her son, they pierce through his hands, and I'm sure as they drove the nails down, pierced them through, it was like her own soul was stabbed with a sword, and as she watches her own son die, she was pierced through as well. This is part of what we sang, what child is this? This is part of what was said of this child, nails, spears shall pierce him through. But here's the, here's the good news of that. The cross was born for me, for you. So hail, hail the word made flesh, this babe, the son of Mary. As incredibly painful as that was for her and even more so for Jesus being separated from his Father, in that way, it, it bring the, the greatest and most glorious and wonderful thing that any mother or any human being could ever see, and that is the resurrected, glorified Christ who saves us so that we don't ever need to face that kind of pain ever. If we trust in him, the song says, this is Christ the King. Come peasant or king to own him. The King of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts Enthrone him. So here's where we need to go from what Simeon says to what this says for us. And I can't say it better than that, that lyric, let loving hearts enthrone him. Do you love 
this Lord Jesus? Is he enthroned in your life? Is he in charge, the sovereign ruler of your life? And this is where it's, it's, it's good for us to remember and marvel at this little baby, but we need to remember he didn't stay a baby. And, and the gospel writers say some about that, but a lot more about his life and his death and resurrection. We need to remember why this baby came, what he did, and that he is actually the king of kings. And verse 35 ends with the thoughts of many hearts being revealed by this child. And so I need to ask, what are your thoughts of this child? How do you think of this Christ? Do you marvel at him like Mary and Joseph did? Do you, do you rejoice in him as Simeon did? Are you looking for him? We don't have to look for His coming, but we can look for Him in His Word. We can find Him every day looking in His Word. We can find consolation. We can find comfort. Are you seeking consolation and comfort and satisfaction apart from Christ? And here's a question. Has your heart ever been pierced through so that you've repented? This this language is used in Acts 2.37. When the Gospel was preached, it says they were pierced through in the heart. And they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. That's, that's part of what this image and this language is used in Scripture as well, that, that we need to recognize our sin and, and we need to be pierced through as we think of what our sin has done to our loving Savior. Have you ever seen that, repented of that, turned from your sins? See, the Word exposes the thoughts of our hearts as as sin, and, and it will in, in eternity. And so if the Lord is even right now working in your heart and, and there is pain because of your sin, repent and look to Jesus. Cling to Him by faith. Look to Him who was pierced for our sins and who died but then rose and is, is risen and, and calls those who will repent and trust in Him to have eternal life in Him. So don't look to Him in the manger anymore. Look to where Simeon points us to. The cross, the empty tomb, the right hand of God that he came to do. And as you look at Simeon, it's also apparent that he was ready to die. He was ready to die because he had seen the Lord by faith. And so I have to ask you, are you ready to die. Could you say, now, today, I'm ready to depart in peace because you have seen this Lord as your Savior? If you're not sure, I would love to talk with you afterwards. Or any of you that are at the senior lunch afterwards, I know people around you would love to talk with you about how you can be sure that you know, if you were to die today, that you are ready to meet your Maker. It's from the same reason that Simeon was ready, because he clung to Christ by faith. He understood who he was. He understood there was nothing he could do to earn his way or or pay his way. His only hope was in this child, Jesus, who would become a man. And so do you see glory in Jesus? He says, this is the glory. This is the light of the world. Has he brought light to you? My prayer is that, like Simeon, our heart would be rejoicing, that we would be repenting if we need to, living in light of this. But this prayer that he prays here, that this would be our prayer. We don't have to go to a temple. We can see Christ 
in the pages of His Word. We can't embrace Him physically, but we can embrace Him by faith. And we can say and pray like Simeon, O Lord, Your servants meet You in every holy place where Your true Word is promised that we should see Your face. Today You still do grant us who gather around You here in arms of faith to bear You as did that aged seer. Let us, O Lord, be faithful like Simeon to the end so that his prayer exultant may from our hearts ascend. O Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, I pray, since I have seen my Savior and here beheld this day. May we see glory and beauty in this Christ of Christmas. May we look for him and long for him. May we also embrace him, cling to him, and may we seek to lift him up. May God make us like Simeon this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Next week we'll look at Anna. But let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. And even this passage that we've read many times, or maybe many times read and stopped before this section here, Lord, help us to meditate and to marvel at these things. And we pray this in the name of the King of Kings and Emmanuel. Amen.